This is the S Raw podcast. A lot to talk about in boxing. This is a boxing edition podcast, right? Um, I just say that just because if you came to you know for some MMA, uh, an MMA podcast, I have that too. This this one ain't it, but I have that too. But here today, we're gonna talk about. We got a lot to talk about, honestly. There's a lot. It's always something to talk about in boxing. We have Canelo Alvarez versus Ryan Garcia, right? Canelo and Eddie Reynoso versus Ryan Garcia. You have, uh, you know, the, s- the supposed robbery. Uh, Josh Taylor versus Jack Catterall, which in my opinion differs than basically everyone else's, but that's all right. That's why I do this. But let's get to Canelo versus Ryan Garcia first. And it's, uh, it's, I think Ryan Garcia is coming out on top on this right now. I kind of don't really care to pick a side. I think they're both right. I think they're both right, honestly. I think that Ryan Garcia said Eddie Reynoso was busy. And he couldn't, you know, get the time that he he felt he needed to push his career to the next level. I don't think that's really a bad thing to say. I think it's probably pretty accurate. Everyone else has a lot of fighters, and he's a. That's what happens when you become a the new big name in boxing, right? The new fresh trainer that no one's really familiar with. You get a lot of fighters. I mean, I was at Wildcard Gym. I used to train there, and this was, you know, Pacquiao still. In his prime. So I trained there from when I was so trying to think so maybe like 2011, right? 2011 to maybe 2019, I want to say. Yeah, like 2019. And Freddie Roach had a lot of fighters. There was a lot of people that wanted to train Freddie Roach. This was like in the Pacquiao at, at his absolute best. And Freddie Roach was winning training of the year like there was a lot of guys went in there. He didn't have a lot of time, and he had to manage it very, very wisely. And he had a lot of people that were helping him, a lot of assistants, uh, assistant trainers, right, to help him with these fighters and maybe to handle more of the day-to-day. And he would just kind of come in with the master game plan and and, tight, and tighten everything up right before a fight. So I, this is an unfamiliar thing. So I just don't think that what Ryan Garcia said was really insulting in any way. And I kind of felt that it just could be left alone at that. And I didn't feel that really any Reynoso or Canelo needed to comment it, comment on it any further than what had already been said. But they did. And I don't know why they did. I don't know why Canelo felt like he needed to. Now, I know Canelo had said, uh, was a little bit critical of Ryan Garcia on an article before when Ryan was still an any Reynoso fighter. And I was okay with that because I felt like, okay, that's like a team leader talking, right? And he's just trying to, you know, light a fire under Ryan. But I felt like at this point, when Ryan was no longer associated with the gym, I didn't really think there was a point or, you know, a necessary. I don't think it was really necessary to um, to really go at Ryan or give a reason why, you know, you know, have a give a reason why it didn't work out. Or, you know, here's what Ryan was doing. all I didn't really think that was necessary. I didn't. I didn't get it. I I thought Canelo just left it alone, but he didn't. He, He chose to comment on the situation. I, I'm not, like I said, I think there's, there's probably two truths to it, right? I mean, I, I really feel like, and we know that Ryan was kind of going through uh, some, uh, you know, what is that? Oh, I forget like the word that everybody is using. Um, you know, he just had some mental problems, right? With mental health. His mental health wasn't, um, you know, he was struggling with it. And that's a, a very real thing that people go through. 
right? We're not we're not in his side, his body, in his head to know what he's feeling, right? So we're feeling depression or feeling down. A lot of times, these people can't they gotta heal from that. So maybe Ryan Garcia wasn't in the gym all the time, and maybe he was not committed to boxing at that point in his life. So maybe that is accurate. But maybe A. Russell did still didn't have time to um, still didn't have time. To work with Ryan, right? Or Ryan felt he needed, right? Or more hands-on approach. I think those both could be right. I just kind of just didn't get why Canelo kind of commented on it. I really didn't. I'm excited to see where Ryan goes from here in his career. I'm, I, you know, I posted a thing that kind of was selling his stock when he left that gym. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the maybe, you know, maybe I commented a little bit too soon on that, right? And maybe we should have just waited it out. And you got to be careful. It's like you know when the you have a friend that like breaks up with his girlfriend and it's like you be quick before you know can't be too quick before you start saying you know, all these things it's like you know most likely it's there's two sides to the story you can't just favor one side or or think this side's right because this guy has more success it, it's, it's usually two sides of the story let's talk about josh taylor let's get to it and i'm gonna tell you i don't think that that fight was fixed well i can't say i don't think the fight was fixed i don't know if the fight was fixed i don't think that was a bad scorecard i'll tell you that right now i don't think those are bad scorecards I don't, and I, I'm going to be 100% honest of what I truly think, and I, I scored the fight, and I had Josh Taylor winning by one point. And I understand that sometimes when a fighter is doing better than when anyone expected him to do, then sometimes those rounds, you start scoring rounds for him because this is this is not what you expected. This is a more entertaining fight. Now it's a much closer fight than you expected. So now you start leaning rounds towards Jack Catterall because he's in the fight. And I think he was in the fight. I think it was a very competitive fight. I mean, I don't really think I need to say that. It was a very close fight. He even dropped uh, uh, Josh Taylor. But just because the fight is close doesn't mean that the guy won, right? The underdog won. I didn't think that was the case. And I thought that even... I thought even... uh. I thought even late in the, I thought even late in the fight that Taylor was the one putting it on, and I thought the early rounds he, he took a lot. I thought he took a good number of the early rounds. Now in the middle was where he got shaky for him, and, and this wasn't the best Josh Taylor performance. No, this definitely not. It wasn't his best performance, and I don't think that if they run it back, I don't think I I definitely not picking Jack Catterall to win the fight. But I understand the. I understand why this happens. I'm, I'm, I'm not confused on why this happens, especially in a fight like this one. It's, it's close. Now, I do have a problem with every time we have a close fight that everybody yells out robbery. And I see people say, oh, you're crazy to score this for Josh Taylor. But I'm not crazy to say that because that happens every time we have a close fight that is robbery. Even when freaking Javante Davis fought Isak Cruz, it was a robbery. Oh, Isak won. It was clear as day. It's like, no, it wasn't. It was a close fight. Why can't we just admit it's a close fight? And because it's a sport of... You know, kind of like what you favor and what you and what you're seeing, right? And what you think you saw, especially when you have three judges at three different damn angles looking at a fight, they could see three different things. In a close fight, we just gotta admit, like, damn, that could go either way. Let's just see who pulls this off, right? But yet, people don't want to admit that, and everybody just the scorecard is automatically right. I'm guessing. Now, I will admit this: that look, it, it seems like everyone thinks this fight was a robbery. So when that happens. 
I don't want to be arrogant like I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I have to th- kind of step back and be like, okay, I, I maybe I missed on this one, right? That That's okay. I, c- I could have missed on this one. As far as what I scored, I thought it was a close fight. I scored for Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor won. One of the scorecards was identical to the one I had, right? So to me, that like kind of like backs up to what I was seeing. But everyone else in the world believes that Caterall won the fight. So, if you're looking at a majority, I mean, that always what I, my, my, in that judge's opinion, that, that always, if everyone thinks it. So, now people are going to, like, what's the solution? How do we fix this, the judging in uh, boxing and what how bad it is? And I come up with the idea of you have five judges, right? More eyes, right? Don't just base it on three, just go five judges. They're all watching from a monitor. Instead of three people watching it for three different angles, and you have five people watching it for three different angles, why don't we just do... Everybody is seeing what everybody's seeing on TV, right? Just watch it from a monitor. Because I don't understand is, are you there scoring the fight with hearing the crowd, um, the energy of the arena, a lot going on? Why would that make sense of scoring a fight? Wouldn't you want to be more focused, silent, no commentary, no nothing, and just you watching the fight? Also, after they judge fight, we score the judges, right? Every judge should have a grade and it should be scored by a separate committee, right? So when they screw up a fight, say, I don't really necessarily screw up this one, but say they screw up a fight or one judge just says a score just so outrageous and we can't, no one can really fathom what he was thinking. You give him a low score. And if you're not an A score judge, a judge with an A score, right? Or that means you regularly score A's to get an A average. You can't judge title fights or main events. Also, my last part, and I think this is the one that people kind of have a hard time with, ring generalship. Remove it. It should not be a scoring criteria. And I'm going to give you the perfect example on why it shouldn't be a scoring criteria. You have a fighter who's a pressure fighter who's going forward. You have a fighter that's a slick boxer who likes to move around the ring. They fight each other. Who's the ring general in them? And someone's going to say, well, it's whoever's landing the shots, right? Whoever's walking them into your shots. Well, then, so really what you're judging is just clean punches. That's what should be judged to win a fight. No matter how you're doing it, who's landing the cleaner punches? Clean, effective punches. Now, if it's just little filler jabs, right? And then you got someone's throwing heavy straight jabs that are landing more solid and causing more visibly effects to a fighter, then obviously that's going to count for more. I think if we just said, no matter you're going front, uh, going for, towards the fighter, going back against the ropes, wherever, if you're landing the clean, effective punches, you win the round. I think that a lot of times ring generalship is used when someone has a bad scorecard, they kind of like fall back on ring generalship because it's a hard thing to argue, right? You have a guy that's getting out box, but he's moving forward, the Casimir versus Brigandel example, and he gets to fight and people say, well, he's a ring general, right? He was the ring generalship that he showed. He he pushed uh, Brigandel wherever he wanted to around the ring. He made him not be able to uh, set position to fight. See, this is just a lot of nonsense, right? So it's too vague of a thing. It's just clean, effective punching. They just scored on that clean, effective punching. I don't think that's an outrageous thing to request. Now, where does Josh Taylor go from here? He says he's moving up. He says it was the weight thing that really, you know, led to the performance that he had. Maybe it did. I, I didn't necessarily, not the conclusion I came to. I kind of just felt like same thing that happens to a lot of these guys is Tiafimo, right? Happened to him. Is when you go to the your hometown, right? And you're supposed to have a performance. Um, 
and it's supposed supposedly it gets a lesser opponent, right? Of not an opponent as high as level as you beaten. Guys go out there and to go for the kill. And I think that they fight. They don't fight under the strategy. They don't fight under the strategy that they um, usually would, or with the techniques and using their whole bag. They just want to entertain and they want to go and get the job done and get the whole hometown crowd behind them. And I think that really throws off fighter. And I think that a lot of times you catch, you get in the rhythm of that fight, and you kind of get stuck in it, and it's hard to pull back of techniques that you were using before in previous fights. When you needed to pull them out. And then you get in the middle of just like, you know, you're fighting a fighter that I believe, you know, doesn't have the ability to put you in the situations that could really make him a threat. But when you're giving him all those situations, then it becomes a closer fight. Of course, you're fighting at his pace, at his speed, at his range. I think that's what happened to Josh Taylor. I also think that's what happened in the next fight we're going to talk about, Chris Colbert. So, but to, before we go to that, where's Josh Taylor come from here? It looks like Josh Taylor's moving up. If Jack Catterall wants to find him, move up with him, they could maybe come to some agreement at a catch weight. And I know a lot of people have a problem with catch weight, so that makes sense to me. As long as it's a good fight, it's a good fight. And they could go meet and run that back. I think I'd be very interested in seeing that back. I would pick Josh Taylor by a wide margin if they run that back. I think that he's the more uh, superior skilled fighter, could do more things, and I don't think we saw all the things he could do in that fight, and I think that he would change a lot of things. Um, I hope that's the rematch we get. I hope Catterall gets another big fight like that. Another opportunity to, uh, you know, get that big win, which I understand that a lot of people think that he, he got, he should have got. So I hope he gets that fight back. I hope they run it back. And he got the storyline there. It makes a lot of sense. Now let's go to the Chris Colbert fight. And a lot of people are saying uh, about Chris Colbert that, you know, oh, he, he talked like this and I'm so glad he lost. And now he looks like a, a fool and, and he shouldn't have been saying all that. And here's the thing, right? This is the entertainment business. That's what people are forgetting. This is the entertainment business. And Chris Colbert, with him talking, no matter what he's saying, right? If it's causing some kind of attention, right? And you care that much. That you hope that he loses and you hope you, you're glad that you were there to watch him lose. He's doing something right. Even if you hate him, right? He's playing the villain. That's, you know, if you watch wrestling, that's needed in wrestling, right? That's a good way to become a star is to get the whole crowd to hate you. And Chris Cooper kind of had that. Now, the performance Chris Colbert gave. And when you talk like that and you get a performance like that, that's this is the, the repercussions of what's going to happen. But the fact that he either gets you to love him or hate him, right? That's what you need, right? As an entertainer, as someone that's putting themselves out there, you need to cause some emotion from the crowd, the audience watching you. And Chris Colbert was, it obviously caused an emotion for the fans of boxing. They all felt a certain way about him. Now, people don't like what he said about Deontay Wilder, right? And I get that. A lot of Wilder fans and Wilder always shows heart and goes out on his shield and they felt that Chris Colbert didn't. So it was kind of, you know, ironic that he was talking trash about Deontay Wilder when Deontay Wilder was able to do what he wouldn't do. But I think, you know, I don't care who you talk about, honestly. I mean, I don't want you to say anything that I don't want people saying that. Like, I just, I don't like Colby Covington, right? Because he's racist. He's like, his character is racist, basically. He's like, I'm a racist character. I don't, I'm not really down with that. 
right? I don't know. There's, there's, I think that's to fake being racist or maybe you really are racist. I don't really think that's, I'm, I don't think I'm not cool with that. But with Chris Colbert, I just think that he just talked a lot. He talks a lot of trash about everyone. I just think he just talks and I think he's pretty entertaining when he talks. And if he's pissing you off, what he's saying, I think it's kind of, that's kind of effective. I think that's what you should be shooting for. Now, the performance he gave was a disaster and killed all, really killed all momentum that he had as a top prospect in boxing. Now, what happened there, and I'm going to say it's similar to kind of like what happened to Josh Taylor, but he went in there with no respect for his opponent. He thought he was going to march him down. He thought he was going to go on there. He kind of used the same technique that Floyd Mayweather used against Conor McGregor, where he's kind of let him work on his arms, and he's kind of thinking, like, I'm going to land a big shot. I'm going to let him tire out. This pressure's going to break him, and I'm going to get the stoppage. I think at one point he realized that maybe this guy's not going to go away. It was around, like, the third, fourth round. He kind of realized, like, hey, I gave away three rounds here. I better start getting back to boxing, and then he could never find his rhythm. And that's a really important thing to know that sometimes when you you get into the flow of a fight, you can't get out of that flow, right? And the one that I was thinking about is uh, Yafai versus Chocolatito, right? When Chocolatito, they, they want uh, Yafai wants a war with him, like right away, just start force, and did not usually his like usually it's like more boxing, moving around the ring. He always kind of wants a war with him because he thought that Chocolatito was done. Then he ended up in a war with him there was like okay try to box he was never going to be able to get back to it he was it takes a lot of it takes a really special fighter to be able to go in there like apply pressure and then like okay now from this round i'm starting like fourth round you're just gonna start boxing and the mentality first of all of applying pressure right you 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 set that in and then you got a rhythm of it but now you say okay now you're gonna start boxing it's like you gotta get in rhythm of that you kind of gotta get, get going and warmed up for it and sometimes it just never comes in a fight especially when you're fighting a guy live action live rounds are happening and that's how I really believe happened here. So like Chris Colbert, when he decided, like, okay, I just need to win five points, he didn't have his legs and he was never going to catch his rhythm. So then he was stuck in a weird spot where it's like, okay, wait, do I go back to war with this guy? But I'm not winning that portion. And I just think that at one point, Chris Colbert just, I mean, there was a point, probably like a 10th round, where he kind of like started bringing it back on, but he, he got dropped. He also got dropped right in the middle of the fight, right? Middle of the uh, middle round. So then he had to recover. Then he kind of gets energy back and then he gets a headbutt and then gets hit. And he kind of like, at that point, just says like, it's not going to happen. He kind of just acknowledges that his body just doesn't happen at that point. And he wasn't going to be able to get the rhythm of the box anymore. And he was just in trouble and he loses to Garcia and Garcia gets his biggest win. And it's just, um, it's really a massive upset for if you think who Chris Colbert was and who Garcia is a late replacement fighter. And now it kills all momentum. And people are, are are glad to see it. Now, same thing as Josh Taylor fight. If they rematch, because I had picked Chris Colbert to win this fight when I broke down both fighters, I would pick Chris Colbert in the rematch. Now, I think sometimes we're the prisoner of the moment, and we've seen Garcia win, so it's like, well, how, how could you pick Chris Colbert when Garcia just destroyed him? And I understand, and I, when I wanted this fight, I knew that Garcia had skills, but I knew that he kind of wanted to do what Chris Colbert does in a fight, fight in the middle of the ring, be a little slicker, uh, use your boxing, right? Pick your shots. Chris Colbert was uh, going to be better than him at all those things. Now, I didn't know Chris Colbert was going to go in there and look for a knockout and try to basically Floyd this guy. I didn't know that. I had no idea. So when that did happen, and I thought, I was like, okay, he's confident. He's trying to be impressive for the fans. I get the what the thought process is here. But when it didn't happen, right, it was that was it was a disaster. Now, I expect if they fought again, they would, that wouldn't be the strategy. So, I'm, I would favor Chris Colbert. I would favor Josh Taylor in a rematch. We'll catch Jack Hatterall. I'm not going to be the prisoner of the moment. I'm, I've seen what Chris Colbert can do. 
I've I've seen uh, I've studied Garcia fight, and I just know what he could do. Now, if he goes in there and does it again, then I, I was wrong, right? I was wrong this time. I'd be wrong. So I, to me, I think this is like, you know, you lose the battle but win the war type of thing. I think I was wrong here, right? Losing the battle. Now, if he loses again, then I lost the war. But I think if, I, if he comes back, Chris Gober smokes him and outboxes him, then I'd win the war. That's the way I see it. On the undercard co-main event, I'm going to talk about this real quick. You had Antoine Russell versus Victor Postol. And Victor Postol was getting a lot of disrespect on this. And I think Antoine Russell was getting a little bit... They were giving, the people were going a little bit too far with what he was going to do to Victor Postol. And the, the, I, the um, predictions were that he was going to stop uh, Postol, right? That he was just going to run through Postol. And Postol, who is also going through you know, a, a very uh, tough situation where his family is stuck in Ukraine at the moment, which is a war, you know, going through, it's in the middle of getting invaded by uh, Russia. So people are picking that, picking, we're picking uh, Russell to win that fight by stoppage anyways. But then that, they were like, it was piling on, like, there's no way that, that, that uh, Postal's going to survive this against the up-and-coming Russell, right? Who's a, you know, people are predicting to be the future world champion at 140. But I knew that that was complete disrespect to Postal, right? I knew that Postal's skill was not going to get him stopped in this fight, at least not early. And, but I was worried a little bit about his age. But Postal did what Postal does. He's he's crafty. You know what I mean? He's, he's got a good movement. He's a good boxer. He keeps good space. He's not going to, you know, you can't just jump in on him for free. It's not. And he was catching Russell. But I do think that these predictions and where we came into the fight kind of hurt Russell because Anton Russell dominates his fight. He really does. You know, does he get shots landed on him? Does he show little things like where he punches from too far away? Yes, he does. Right? Um... I do think that his his brother, his who was his head trainer, saw those certain things and was able to make you know tell him the right thing to make the adjustments on him. That that definitely did happen. So it makes me re, kind of reassure me that they're going to fix the things, and he needed to see it against a top guy to see what things were kind of open for him to get hit by. So I think they saw that. I think they saw the uppercuts from when he jumps in from too far away, and he, he needs to be a more a little more picky on what ranges he chooses. But he did dominate the fight. Now, he did get a, a, a stoppage that, you know, was very highly questionable what the ref gave him in the last round that kind of seemed like Victor Postol could have finished this fight. But because of those predictions of what he was going to do, it seems like it kind of hurt Russell's performance. Like, if people are not as hyped at the end of that fight, when I thought there was like, he's so good that you, that him just beating Postol by a wide margin, which no one really does since, like, Terrence Crawford, maybe Josh Taylor, who was, you know, Trusted still got hurt in that fight. He's so good that we knock him, dock him points for just having a competitive fight with Postal. It's really, you know, the perspective of, that's why match rank is so important. And the the, per, the perspective what the and the perception of what the fans think is going to happen, it's all storytelling, right? And when the fans... Go too far in one direction. It doesn't happen. It could, it could actually hurt your stock when his stock should be really at all time high because he just dominated Postal. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Boxing Edition podcast.